What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. everybody this is in liberty and health episode number 38 i got natalie brunell over here who um is a very very interesting person she uh much like me wears a lot of different hats so uh natalie how are you doing tonight i'm doing great thanks so much for having me of course um so real quick just give a a brief background on uh you and everything that you kind of got going on now um i originally heard you from the uh bitcoin world you interviewed one of my favorites peter schiff (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who uh, I know you two have dissenting opinions, but you guys are always very cordial about it. Um, yeah, just uh, how'd you kind of get into Bitcoin and, uh, you know, where were you originally before then? Yeah, I, I love Peter Schiff, although we disagree on Bitcoin, we agree on a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used to be a broadcast news journalist. I was a journalist for more than 10 years, and I decided to dedicate my career to Bitcoin and really just educating people and spreading awareness on the technology, because I believe that it fixes this broken financial system that we live in and the spiral of debt that our country has amassed over the last few decades. So I became super passionate about about learning everything I could about economics. It's how I came across Peter Schiff because he's really brilliant in sharing his knowledge about Austrian economics and this sort of need for hard and sound money in a time of so much leverage and where we've just really, um, we've gone into this, uh, this pattern of inflation through money printing that's hurting the people that are in the middle class and the lower class the most. And so I, you know, I see my parents and those people were first generation immigrants. I reported for so many years on the people that are most affected by these issues that are touched by money. And I believe Bitcoin fixes a lot of these issues and it might sound a little optimistic, but I believe we need a return to sound money. This money is based on technology and I'm super excited to share the message. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, me being more in the libertarian sphere, um, I haven't quite got the full understanding of the hype around Bitcoin. Um, could you perhaps elaborate a little bit on it? Um, just my base knowledge on it. It seems like a lot of people put faith mostly in it because of the network capabilities and the fact that it's decentralized and that you can transact in it so easily. But um, kind of elaborate on it because I'm very interested in it, but I just don't know that much. Yeah. So, I mean, don't feel bad because it took me a while to understand Bitcoin and I was so skeptical too. That's why I relate to so many people that look at it at at first as, you know, funny money or potentially a scam or a technology that could be taken down in some way. I literally thought all of those things as well until I did so, so much research into it. But basically it's the most powerful computer network that exists around the world. And it's a monetary com- computer and technology network. So the two most uh, attractive features I would say about Bitcoin are its decentralization and its scarcity. So it's decentralized in the same way that the internet is. So think about it as something that has no central point of failure. It is distributed around the entire world. There are nodes and computers on the Bitcoin net- network that essentially exist 
exist everywhere. So even if you were to take down Bitcoin in say one geographic area or one country, like we did recently with China, it really doesn't impact the network that much because it's distributed everywhere. Um, and after China banned it, uh, a lot of the, the mining actually came here to the US, which was really exciting. And then it's the first form of, of digital scarcity. So when Bitcoin was programmed, it was designed and developed to only ever have 21 million Bitcoins come into circulation. It has a disinflationary monetary policy, meaning that every four years, fewer and fewer Bitcoin actually come into existence, which is the polar opposite of our current financial system, where basically money gets printed out of thin air and more and more of it gets printed to sort of, you know, uh, fill in the gaps of our financial system that we have right now. And so it's, it's really, um, it's really trying to return us to this idea of sound money. And it has a lot of features and um, usability that gold really doesn't, right? So you could transfer a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin from one place in the world to another in a matter of a couple of minutes for very, very little money, as opposed to trying to do that with gold. And again, you know, gold was the last time we really had a standard of money that had very little inflation. It, I think it had a an inflation rate of about 2% per year. Our money, our paper money used to be backed by gold until 1971. And ever since then, when we went off the gold standard, we've really gone into this pattern of inflation. And I think it's really hurting people. I think we can't keep going with you know, monetary policy the way that it is by the Fed. And Bitcoin offers this option out. It's a peaceful option out where people can literally, you know, start to accumulate and invest little by little and put their money into an asset that is the best performing monetary asset of the last decade. It's appreciated about a million percent in the last 10 years. And yes, it's volatile, but it's a baby money, right? We're seeing the first, the infant stages of monetization in real time. But I really do believe in the technology. It's uh, the programming. Once you dig into it, it's absolutely brilliant. And I am so grateful that I had a chance to learn about it because I really do believe it's the future. Right. Um, boy, that's a lot. And there's a lot to <laughs> unpack there. It, um, it, it, Like I said, it really fascinates me, but I kind of understand people's skepticism around it because people are used to gold like you mentioned and i still i want to say in my stock portfolio personally i do hold a lot of kind of gold and um like uh assets stuff like that but um you know why would it benefit bitcoin to not be necessarily a tangible thing I, i've heard you tap on this before but um kind of elaborate on because most people kind of think of gold as, a, you know, the ideal store of value, right? And obviously that's kind of changing with people, you know, more so my age, I'm 27, and I think you're a little bit older than me, but um, people more our age kind of look at, um, you know, they don't necessarily think that way. We're kind of more into this newer technology with, uh, you know, cryptocurrencies and, you know, transacting by card and PayPal and other things like that. Yeah, I mean, so gold is the last time that we really had this idea of hard money, but the truth is that most of gold is actually centralized in reserves. And even if we were to return to a gold standard, I mean, could you just picture the idea of people actually having bullion in their homes today? I mean, most people transact in things that are digital. We live in a digital world, the informational age. And so I think that there's a lot of value that can be provided through that type of technology. I mean, you and I trust the internet, right? To have the Zoom call mm -hmm. or to send emails. And that's exactly what Bitcoin 
Bitcoin is doing only to money and it's reinforcing it with this distributed network where transactions are being verified in real time by real people. No one owns, yet everyone owns the network in a sense, which is, which is I think, incredibly powerful. Um, so if we didn't have Bitcoin, if Bitcoin was never invented, I would be a gold bug because I would say, hey, we need to return to sound money. We need to have something that is that our money is backed by and we need to unwind some of the debt we've gotten into. But what's amazing about Bitcoin is it was invented sort of in response to the issues that we were having with central planning and trying to essentially manipulate our economy um, via a central authority. And it it just, it harnesses the power of technology to do that. And now we can transact value and be in a system which again, no one controls. Everyone has the chance to audit because you can look back at every single transaction to the very, very beginning of the blockchain. And really the network effect that you mentioned earlier is extremely powerful, right? I mean, this is open source protocol. Anyone can copy it. There have been, you could argue 10,000 copies and yet none of them has um, been able to really compete with Bitcoin because it's grown to such, such strength and people see the value of what it offers. So I really do think that in today's world where everything is digital, you don't necessarily need something physical. None of us are really transacting day to day with physical things. And so I think if that's what holds people back, you know, I hope that they kind of take a step back and think about when the internet came around in the 1990s. There were a lot of people skeptical about it, thinking they might not mm -hmm. use it. And it literally touches every part of our lives and businesses today. And I really see Bitcoin doing the same just as far as money. You could have just said, okay, Boomer, that would have worked too. <laughs> but um, Boomer at 27. <laughs> no, 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 not me, but for people that are, uh, you know, still want to interact with, uh, you know, physical things. But um, how much of the Bitcoin price and the hype around Bitcoin do you think is due to this low interest rate environment that we're in and the, you know, mania and the hype because everybody can borrow money pretty much same as cash. And um, I know you talk about it a lot on your channel. Basically, you don't see your savings grow anymore. Um, you have to invest in things or else you're going to literally lose money. And especially after they printed 40% of all of the uh, dollars within circulation, um, you have to invest in things or else you do lose money just holding yeah, I mean, that's what I think is so sad about the environment that we're in because they've debased our currency so much. And we've sort of enjoyed this privilege with the US dollar being the global reserve currency and the petrodollar where we don't see the impacts as quickly or as easily as perhaps other countries. But with the COVID stimulus and the response to that and the amount of money printing that was initiated, we are starting to feel that inflation in real time, which places the Fed in a really difficult position, right? Because you know, if you look back at the last 13 years, that's how long Bitcoin has been in existence. We've been in an expansionary um, monetary environment. We've been in quantitative easing mode. And right now, if we keep doing that, they're really going to allow inflation to heat up and possibly get out of control. So they have to raise interest rates. But anytime that they've tried to do that in the last 13 <laughs> years, the market is pretty much like you know, cracked and um, we're, we've never been more leveraged. So, you know, what do they do, right? It's like they have to raise rates, but they can't raise rates. And so I actually think that the reason why Bitcoin isn't moving as quickly as we want it to to that six figure mark is because everyone's sort of anticipating a crash because we're literally in this 
this time in our lives where we're coming out of a pandemic, but we're still really in it. Most people are not back to, to work necessarily or making what they were. We're not producing anything. We're not, we, we're not an economy of production and value, uh, yet stock markets at an all time high. And it's like, I think everyone has sort of one foot in, one foot out. And like you mentioned, they're trying to get, um, appreciation and returns that are are risky and high because that's the only place you can go you start to speculate on maybe altcoins or different areas of the stock market and so i see bitcoin as sort of a, a safer a safer asset to look at because it's really again boiling it down to this is hard money it's boring it has doesn't have the utility of some of these other coins but that it's not meant to, it's meant to restore us to sound hard money that can't be manipulated or inflated beyond our control. So I wonder what's going to happen. Um, I, I really think that we're in an interesting time entering 2022, seeing what the Fed's going to do. And I think that it will impact the price of everything. I mean, if we have a significant crash, if they raise rates, that's it's going to bring everything down, real estate, stocks, crypto. Um, but after that, I do think people will flood to things like gold and Bitcoin because it's those are the two things that you can't inflate. And I would argue that Bitcoin technologically and, and portability wise is just the better, the better choice, the better option. For sure. Um, it, yeah, it is really, really interesting. Like you said, the kind of situation that the Fed's backed into because um, and it's so sad to see the state of how people understand economics, but um, people think that higher interest rates is going to ruin absolutely everything. I actually got into an argument with my mother about this, and God bless her soul, but she's she's literally a boomer con. But um, <laughs> she said, oh, well, Biden's going to raise rates, um, and then you're not going to be able to afford anything. But it's like, well, first of all, no, they won't, because every time, like you said, they try to raise interest rates, everything comes tumbling down. So then they got to reverse course and then create more inflation. But um, I think that the um, the government with the uh, national debt and everything else, I think they're kind of at the end of the road and there's not much more road to kick the can down. You can't lower interest rates below zero because then people realize that, you know, the jig is up. The house of cards has to come down. Um, do you think that we're kind of nearing that? boiling point where, you know, people kind of say, well, we can't take your dollars anymore. I mean, that's a great question. I feel like America and our monetary system has the ability to kick the can down the road far longer than, um, than most of us would expect. I mean, you know, Peter Schiff was expecting this crash during the last financial crisis. And we swoop, swooped in with all the quantitative easing and the bailouts. And here we are today with, you know, skyrocketing debt, leverage, real estate market, asset prices, all of it. And it still has yet to really come down and crash the way it needs to in order to wash out the malinvestments. And, I, you know, none of us have a crystal ball, but certainly they're not doing anything that's strengthening the U.S. dollar in the long term, especially with the existence of these cryptocurrency technologies. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I just I see Bitcoin as a store of value and as this incredible savings technology. It doesn't need to threaten the U.S. dollar. It, I believe that it can actually strengthen it. Like, why doesn't the U.S. dollar just print a bunch of money to buy the one thing that can't be inflated, which is Bitcoin? Right. I mean, I, I would okay. I would see that 
that is sort of a, a good decision. Um, I, I just think that right now we're just moving into a position where if we let the inflation continue, it's just going to crush the people, the savers, the income earners, the people that represent sort of the fabric of this country and the people who aren't fixed incomes. Like it's really, really going to hurt them. And I would hate to see that. But at, at the same time, you know, raising interest rates, even though a crash is what what would happen. I believe it's what we need. And I also hope that it would allow people to say, Hey, I'm going to opt out of this system that I can't control. I, I have no say over these Washington insiders and who they get to allocate, you know, the capital to, I'm going to put my money in Bitcoin, which has been outperforming everything. So that's why I really like Bitcoin as well. Okay. So where would you align yourself politically if you kind of had to, and it's kind of hard sometimes because you see, everything that's going on in politics today and it's not like the political right is like the right of even 20 years ago or the political left is the left of 20 years ago and even to some degree libertarians aren't libertarians from 20 years ago everything's kind of shifted but if you had to put yourself in one kind of box unfortunately where would you put yourself yeah, I mean, that's really hard. That's why I think, you know, on my on my pages online, I, I think on my Wikipedia pages as like independent, uh, I've been really disillusioned by the whole political process. I as a reporter, you know, I covered so many elections, and I covered different candidates and policies I covered, I investigated public corruption. And I felt like the end result was no matter who was in office and definitely who was in the White House, everyone's problems seemed to just balloon every single year. Our debt got bigger, mm -hmm. both the red and blue raised the debt ceiling. And the, uh, the life for the average person was sort of getting harder and harder to afford, to afford college, to afford housing. So, you know, at, at some point you kind of sit there and go, what's the real problem? And I found in my, my conclusion was the money system's the problem. And I think it's led to this polarization. And at the end of the day, what makes me sad is that the word freedom now is somehow, it has, somehow has a negative connotation. It's right. like our country was founded on freedom, on, you know, the idea of sort of self-determination and, and value and pursuing prosperity. And I, I just believe that if we had a system that was based on sound money, like our country was, in, in its founding, then maybe we would have more equality. Um, I don't believe in like handouts and creating victims through these policies where someone has to win and someone has to lose. You have to take from the rich to give to the poor. Well, you know, why is it greedy to want to keep your own money, but not greedy to want to take someone else's money, right? I mean, I just think that everyone should work and provide value and have the opportunity to make the most of themselves. Um, you know, again, my family is immigrant, first generation here wanting to come here for the American dream. And they feel like the American dream has sort of been hijacked. And I, so I don't even know if I align with either, either side. I just really hope that both sides see the potential of something like Bitcoin, because I think that for the left, you know, it helps the people that they want to help the most. It banks the unbanked. It provides the ability to accumulate wealth for those who need it the most. And on the right, it's this idea of freedom and smaller government and taking control of your economic future. And so I think both sides can maybe agree on something for once. That would be great. Yeah, my God, I can hear people screeching, calling you right wing because you said people should have their freedom. <laughs> but no, what you said is perfectly reasonable. And it's so 
upsetting and appalling to me that in 2021, well, 2022 now, but even as far back as like 2016, people who would say things like that, people would automatically pin you on the right. But then, you know, you're also appealing to people on the left because you said, you know, you want to raise people's living standards without necessarily stealing from somebody else. Look, you have an asset like Bitcoin or like gold or anything that can appreciate. And, you know, if you get somebody's foot in the door because they provided value, right? Let's say you eliminate the minimum wage and then they're able to just get their foot in the door there, their, you know, overall net worth increases, and then, you know, they're a little bit better off. You don't need a social safety net when people are able to get their foot in the door at a lower point versus, mm-hmm. you know, putting a minimum wage, creating barriers to entry or creating even like a, uh, you know, perhaps social safety net cliff where basically people don't have the incentive to go work because their incentives to stay home are much greater, which I think we've seen this a lot in um, you know the last two years where people got paid to stay home. And then, you know, you just got money rained on you from the government and then people who went to work, you know, they almost lost. Yeah, I agree. I, and I also think that capitalism should no longer be a bad word or a right wing word. I think, again, people need to kind of look at history, the history of money and what our country was founded on. And I think what's sad is we don't have a lot of financial literacy in this country. And we're sort of indoctrinated in the Keynesian economic theory mm-hmm. in schools, which basically teaches us that the government has to intervene. And it's sort of this like top down mentality where the actions of people basically have to be dictated dictated by government and central authorities who are going to dictate interest rates and aggregate level of demand through policies. And I just think that that's not the way that um, that supply and demand and, and healthy economies function. And I think it takes a while for someone to study that and to learn that and to really understand why, hey, some of those free lunches or great stimulus things that the government is promising is actually going to hurt the very people down the road or their children that they're trying to, they're pretending to help. And you don't understand that unless you really study economics of how these moral hazards are created. I mean, when we're, when we were younger, I'm a millennial, you're like encouraged to take out all this debt for schools, right? Well, when the government backs up the debt, then the, the banks have no reason to, you know, not take on risky behavior. The colleges have no reason not to raise their tuition to ridiculous amounts to basically make these college degrees worth nothing compared to what they cost. And, and again, you have to kind of study that to realize that these programs that were set out to be helpful or to, you know, sort of empower the disenfranchised are actually disenfranchising people down the road. So many more people and continuing to lead us into this spiral of debt that we will never be able to pay back. And it's sad to me because America used to be this dominant force in the world. And we really were this superpower. And economically, we used to be the world's largest creditor nation. Now we're the world's largest debtor nation. And I just don't believe that, especially with this, you know, this surgeons now of central bank digital currencies and cryptocurrencies, how are we going to hold on to that sort of power of the US dollar being the global reserve currency, unless we return to some some form of sound money that backs it? Right. And it's so funny to hear people say that China is this big threat, but they refuse to look at our own government that locked us in our homes and then have done nothing but steal our purchasing power from underneath us and do so much to harm us. Um, you were talking about um, going to college and stuff like that a little bit earlier. And it, it once again goes back to the Fed. And, you know, it's like libertarians and like minded people over the um, Austrian school 
Um, we almost sound like broken record, always blaming the Federal Reserve for everything, but it's absolutely true because politicians wouldn't be able to go to the taxpayer and tell them, hey, we're going to give all this stuff away for free, you know, for free, but we're going to increase your taxes by 25%, right? You can't do that without a central bank. So I think that's when you have assets or something like Bitcoin, um, you know, it, it definitely does kind of take the power away. And then maybe people start realizing the emperor has no clothes and then we can, you know, decentralize and maybe move to different cryptocurrencies. Like, because the founders originally had envisioned to have different precious metals. Well, like you said, we're in a digital age. So, you know, is it possible that we could have maybe more digital cryptocurrencies that um, compete against one another? It kind of seems like it's going on now. So I see Bitcoin as really the ultimate store of value. And I think that it could provide sort of this foundational layer upon which we build a new financial order. And I think that it could be a global reserve asset. We're already seeing some countries adopt it. And we're seeing politicians, I think, at least with Bitcoin, move in a favorable direction here in the US. The other cryptocurrencies I view more as securities. And basically, I think that it's kind of like you know, investing in Google or Apple stock. I don't know which which horse is going to win the race. And I certainly believe in free markets. So I think people should allocate their money at their own risk where they want. But I just don't see them as equivalent to Bitcoin. They don't have that powerful distributed computer network behind them. A lot of them, you know, had pre-mined tokens that benefited the, the creators. Um, a lot of them have a centralized group of people that are making a decision about the monetary supply and how much is, how much is you know, in supply or how much is being burned. And so again, it's, it's, they're very different from Bitcoin to me. And the more that you study the cryptocurrencies, the more you really understand why Bitcoin has outperformed so many of them and has outlasted so many of them. If we were to have a crash, you know, these, this, some of these corrections that we've seen in, in traditional markets have impacted crypto. And while Bitcoin may be corrected, you know, a significant amount, let's say 50% drawdowns, some of the other ones have just been wiped out, taken out. So you really, really have to be careful. You have to do your homework and research, but I always encourage people just really start to study our monetary system and how money printing actually works and why inflation is is hurting your bottom line because i think that once people start to break down those issues of like austrian versus keynesian economics and the idea of why we need sound hard money you start to appreciate bitcoin because bitcoin fixes a problem whereas the others i feel like are almost solutions looking for problems or they're technology companies that people may or may not make a huge amount of profit on i'm not really sure I got you. All right. Well, I want to pivot over to um, your careers podcast, um, the, the the name of it, Career Stories, right? Coin Stories. Yeah. Oh. Um, what were, who were some of the most interesting minds and people that you got to talk to? Because I only got you for a few more minutes here. I also want to touch, touch on that. Um, you know, what were some big takeaways and who were some of the um, most interesting people that you got to talk to? Oh my gosh, that the podcast has been so rewarding and fulfilling because I personally have always been inspired by people's backstories and sort of that autobiographical, biographical journey of like how someone achieves success and why they are the way they are. I love rags to riches stories. So when I became fascinated with Bitcoin, I really wanted to understand who were the thought leaders and where did they come from and why do they have so much conviction? And I started to reach out to them. And so it's funny. I mean, Peter Schiff was on there. He's a contrarian, but he's such a voice in the Bitcoin space as well. But I, I love talking to him and learning about his perspective. Um, really, really, really enjoyed Michael Saylor. He is like the ultimate Bitcoin bull. He's the first publicly traded um, company CEO to go to the Bitcoin standard with MicroStrategy. And he has such a, a way to 
to um, articulate just the benefits of Bitcoin and why it's this fantastic store of value. Um, I really love talking to some of the women in the space. There are a growing number of women who are making their mark in, in Bitcoin. So Caitlin Long and Flory Marquez and Lynn Alden. Lynn Alden, such an incredible macroeconomic mind. Um, VJ Boyapati and Saifedean, who wrote two of my favorite Bitcoin books. VJ wrote Bullish Case for Bitcoin and Saifedean wrote Bitcoin Standard and Fiat Standard. I view Bitcoin Standard as literally the best book you could ever read. I mean, I've read it three times. It's like the Bible wow. on Bitcoin if you want to understand the, the benefits of this technology and why it's so needed. Um, so it's just been such a great journey learning about all of them and how they came from their previous careers into Bitcoin. Yeah, it's really interesting. I listened to your uh, show with Patrick Pet David today, and that was uh, incredibly interesting. I actually didn't know he was a bodybuilder um, prior to kind of getting into everything else, but uh, when he said he was 6'4", 250 pounds, I'm like, my God, that is a giant of a man, but yeah. he's a fascinating guy. Yeah, everyone's been fascinating. It's it's so fun to peel back the layers and kind of get the human interest side of people because so many times you just hear them commentating or you know tweeting about one particular subject, but you really don't know who they are, where they come from, what their childhood was like. And I think a lot of those things shape us, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I literally, again, like I, I'm first-generation immigrant and I had a certain financial background. And so I think I was predisposed to some of the principles that Bitcoin represents. And so it's interesting to see how different everyone's journey has been. Yeah. And I definitely kind of resonate with that through my own podcast because I've had both, um, you know, libertarian-minded people and health people on here. And to kind of get both sides to kind of talk about the other issues. So libertarians talk about health and health people talk about, you know, liberty issues. It's really interesting. And it's, you kind of see a light go off in their eye because they start going on tangents. because so you can tell they don't get to talk about it. And I'm sure that's kind of the same way for your show as well. Yeah, for sure. I try to ask questions that nobody else asks. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you got me a little bit more sold on cryptocurrency than most people. Most um, people, when they give me an answer, I'm not typically satisfied with it. But um, I definitely think you know what you're talking about. And I love that you come at it with an Austrian lens because not enough people do. Um, Natalie, where can everybody find you and how can people get in touch with you? Oh, well, thank you so much. If anyone has questions about Bitcoin, please DM me. I'm very active on Twitter. It's at Nat Brunel. My podcast is called Coin Stories and it's on YouTube and every podcast platform, Apple, uh, Spotify, all that. And uh, yeah, I would love to connect with more people and share the message of Bitcoin. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And um, until next time, everybody, this was in Liberty and Health. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.